Good morning. My name is Susan Cochran, and we have been attending Faith since 1988. <laughs> Currently, my husband and I are helping to lead a life group um, this summer. Today, I'm going to read Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. This is the word of God. Thank you, Susan. 1988. Been a lot of years here with the Cochrans. Well, good morning to all of you here today. Susan read the first uh, first few first uh, couple of paragraphs of a longer passage that we're going to be considering today. But this passage describes how God was in, in at work in the life of a man named Cornelius. And God wanted Peter to have the privilege of leading this man, Cornelius, to faith in Christ. But there was a problem. Cornelius was a Gentile, meaning he was non-Jewish. And Peter, being Jewish, didn't associate with Gentiles. And so for Peter, there was this insurmountable barrier between him and Cornelius. It could not be crossed. And so a, a transformation needed to take place if Cornelius was going to get 
the gospel. And the same dynamics are at work in our world. And this is just the case. All around us, God is at work in the lives of people that we know. The lives of people that are very different from you, very different from me, in all sorts of different ways. God is in hot pursuit. It's been said that there's a God-shaped vacuum inside of every person, and nothing else will fill it. Try as we might, we might try to fill it with all manner of things, but God in the human heart is the only thing that really satisfies. And so there are people looking for God all around us. And like Peter, we might think, consciously or unconsciously, that there are insurmountable barriers between us and them. And it can differ for different people. It might be that they're of a different religion than we are, or that they're a different ethnicity, or that they have a whole different morality, what they believe is right and wrong. It's so different from the way that we tend to think. Or they might be different from you politically. And so there's, there's all these things. And we tend to think that sometimes that, that these are insurmountable barriers. And so like Peter, this transformation needs to take place because it is the will of God for him to use us in the lives of people very different from us who need to know him. And if this transformation doesn't take place, we may just find that we are standing in the way of God. And if you're a follower of Christ, that's the last thing you want. You want to participate with God, not stand in the way of God. And so today we're going to look at this passage. Susan read part of it. It's all of Acts 10, half of of Acts 11. And the sheer amount of space given to this story tells us how significant it is in the flow of the book of Acts. But we see three foundational things in this passage. And the first is that God has removed barriers, all barriers between peoples. As we'll see, the barriers that God removes in this passage were actually barriers that he had created in the past and for good reason. But we're first introduced to this man living in Caesarea. His name was Cornelius, and he was a centurion, which means he was an officer in the Roman army in charge of maybe 80 to 100 soldiers. And centurions were known as the backbone of the Roman army. But that's not what what uh, Luke, uh, emphasize, Luke emphasizes here. He emphasizes Cornelius's piety. He was a God-fearing man, which means that he, was, he had an affinity for the God of the Jews. He hadn't fully converted to Judaism, but he worshiped the God of the Jews, and he carried out uh, many of the, the commands that were given to the Jews. Two things were told about Cornelius, very impressive. He gave alms, meaning he gave money to the poor, and he prayed to God continually. Those are two things throughout the Bible that God, that God commands that were, were close to his heart. And so this is a good-hearted man. And an angel appeared to him in a vision, and he was terrified. That's the normal response. And this angel told him that uh, the way he'd been living his life was an acceptable offering to God. It was like a memorial that was lifted up to God. And so God found pleasure in him. The angel tells him, send to Joppa, find this man named Peter, bring him back. He has a message for you. So he sends two of his servants and a soldier to Joppa. Meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter is on the the roof of a house praying, obviously a flat roof. It's about noon. And we're told, and this is kind of humorous, Peter became hungry and immediately he sees a vision about eating, about food. 
And so that's not a coincidence. And in the vision, this great sheet, think maybe a sail on a sailboat, it's coming down from heaven, it's let down by the four corners, and inside the sheet, there are all these animals and reptiles and birds, things that have been forbidden by the old, in the old covenant. In verse 13, again, we read that there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. It's a command. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, let me try and set the context of what's happening here. It's rather complex, but I'm going to give it a shot. God had made a covenant with the Jewish people, that, that gave, and he gave commands, do's and don'ts, in virtually every area of their lives. And some of them were absolute morality. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not covet your neighbor's possessions, your neighbor's wife. Those are absolute commands, morality. But there were other commands that were simply prohibitions that set the Jewish people apart from all of their neighbors, from all of the the surrounding peoples. And the law created barriers between the Jewish people and everybody else. And these barriers kept the Jewish people from developing close relationships with them, from intermarrying with them. Ultimately, God wanted them to avoid worshiping their gods. And one set of those commandments prohibited them from eating certain foods. And it's if you read it in, in Luke, um, I mean in uh, Leviticus 10 and 11, you'll see it's things like eagles and ostriches and catfish and pigs and all sorts of things, all these descriptions. Fascinating. But these foods God declared unclean. And there is no indication in Scripture that God is saying, don't eat these because these are unhealthy. They're, they will poison you if you eat those things. You, you don't find that anywhere in Scripture. If that were the case, it would be rather unkind when God lifted those prohibitions as if he were saying, go ahead, poison yourself. Just, just eat these things. I don't care about your health anymore. That was not the purpose for him. These were commands, don't eat these foods because you are distinct from everybody else. Even when you take a bite, you have to think, you have to remember we belong to the God, the, the God who appeared to Moses on the mountain. And so, if you can't, so these food laws created barriers between the people of God and the nations. If you can't eat their food, you can't develop close relationships, and you won't be drawn away from the one true living God. And so, when the voice from heaven told Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat, he said, never, Lord. For I would never break your commandment. I would never eat a food that's unclean. As a devout Jew, he wouldn't think of disobeying these laws in the Old Covenant. And God's response is instructive. What he doesn't say is, Peter, stop being so legalistic. Don't, don't be so uptight about all these things. No, notice what he says in verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. This is what it said. What God has made clean do not call common. It turns out that the God who made prohibitions against, uh, who made some foods unclean in the old covenant had every right to declare those same foods as clean in the new covenant in Christ's blood. It wasn't an issue of morality. I remember when the first time I got on I-70, 
And I looked up, and the speed limit is 75. I'm like, wait a minute, you can do that? You can, you can drive 75 miles an hour without having to check your rearview mirror all the time? Well, the same people who made the speed limit 55, then raised it to 65, and then to 70, they have every right to raise the speed limit to 75. There wasn't an issue of absolute morality. Same thing was true with the food laws. This vision made explicit that since God had declared these foods clean, then Peter should not call them unclean. <clears throat> this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So by happening three times, it was a way of saying this is certain, this is not to be doubted. As we'll see, this vision is about much more than food. Verses 17 through 23 describe how these men sent by Cornelius arrived at the house where Peter was staying. And verse 19 says that the Spirit said to Peter, Peter, uh, go, go with these men without hesitation. Again, God is driving the action. God is in hot pursuit of Cornelius. And so the next day, he, along with six other people, started this journey back to Caesarea with the man the men whom Cornelius had sent. Pick it up down in verse, in verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. And that happened on occasion to Jesus when people realized who he was. But that was wholly inappropriate for that to happen to Peter. And so in verse 26, we see Peter's change of mind here, change of heart. Peter lifted him up. He touched this Gentile and he said, saying, stand up. I too am a man. He said, I, I'm just a man like you are. We're, we're both created in the image of God. There's no difference between you and me. I'm not superior. You're not my inferior. Uh, stand up. We're made of the same thing. Verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to him, you, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful, could be translated taboo, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any food, no, any person common or unclean. He understood this vision wasn't merely about food. It was ultimately about people because God had declared all foods, uh, un, uh, all foods clean. The barrier between Jews and Gentiles had been removed. There was absolutely no reason for Peter not to associate with and visit Cornelius. Verse 29, Peter says, So when I was sent, sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me. And so things have changed. It's very different between the old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, the people of God were to be separate from the nations geographically. They were in their, in their, their uh, boundaries and they were separate culturally. But in the new covenant, God's people were to go and make disciples of the nations. And that could not happen unless these cultural barriers were still in place. But with these barriers gone, Peter now understood 
There are no second-class people. There are no second-class nations. If Peter didn't understand this, Cornelius would remain a good, God-fearing Gentile, but he would be without access to the news about Jesus. And so, for the sake of the gospel, God has removed all barriers between peoples. And just like Peter needed to be convinced of this, this was hard for him. He, he had heard it, Jesus had said it, but he didn't get it. He had to be convinced. And in the same way, it's very likely that there are ways, some conscious ways, unconscious ways, subtle ways, obvious ways, that you and I need the same transformation that Peter underwent. It's very likely that we need to understand that some of the barriers that we think exist between us and other people really don't. For the sake of the gospel, we need to understand this. And so this week, I want to challenge you to do something. I'll come back to this later, but I want to challenge you to do something. Would you this week notice your thoughts and your attitudes and even your emotions toward people who are different from you? As you go through your week, you interact with, you see people that are different from you. What do you you think? What, What attitudes well up in your soul? What emotions do you have toward them? Are there people or whole groups of people that you think have, where you perceive there are insurmountable barriers between you and them? And when it comes to groups of people, Uh, Think about all different categories, people that are different from you ethnically, different from you when it comes to religion. That was the case for Peter. Gentiles were ethnically and religiously different from him. How do you react to people that are different from you, different that they have a very different morality than you, very different sense of what is right and wrong, what's in bounds, what's out of bounds? people that are different from you politically and in a dozen other ways. This week, notice your thoughts and attitudes. And uh, if you want to take a risk, pray what David prayed at the end of Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, try my heart, show me. Is there anything hurtful in me? Show me and lead me in the paths of righteousness. That's a wise prayer. And so the point of that prayer is that we don't know our hearts. We think we do, but we don't. For example, when it comes to, to people that are ethnically dif- different from you, um, what are your emotions? What are your attitudes? Personally, I don't know anybody that would raise their hand and say, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm a racist. I, th- I think I'm superior to people who don't look like me, who have a different hue. But subtly, I wonder, do, do we entertain uh, stereotypes about different people? Are we suspicious? Do we, we secretly think that we're superior to, to, to people that are different than us ethnically? Or when it comes to religion and, and morality and politics, just to clarify, I'm not asking whether or not you disagree with people on these things. If you have any depth of conviction, you disagree with them. I, I disagree with most people I know, honestly, on, on deep abiding things. The question is, do those differences create barriers between you and that person? Sometimes that happens. 
It breaks my heart when I see Christians do that. They basically look at people that are different and say, you're dead to me. There's no, I'm not even going to enter into a relationship with you. And if you do that, you have zero chance of being used by God in that person's life. And so notice these things as you go through this week. For the sake of the gospel, God has torn down all the barriers that exist between people. Nobody is out of bounds when it comes to what God is doing in other people's lives. And we need to be open to the possibility he wants to use us in that process. For the sake of the gospel, God has removed all barriers between peoples. And secondly, God pours out his spirit upon anyone who believes in Jesus. In the second half of of Acts 10, uh, God goes way beyond declaring all foods clean. He did something that changed all of human history. We would not be standing here, sitting here today, if this had not happened. In verses 30 through 33, Cornelius recalls this vision in which the angel, angel told him that God had heard his prayers and that he was to send for Peter. And Cornelius gives Peter this, this full permission. And uh, this is a preacher's dream right here. He says, anything God has told you to say, we want to hear it. And so notice how Peter, Peter begins his message. First of all, it says Peter opened his mouth. Everybody opens their mouth when they speak. Have you noticed that? When it says that in Scripture, it's, it's a profound thing. Peter opened his mouth to speak and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so in this context, the idea that God shows no partiality means that God doesn't really favor the Jews over the Gentiles. He never really did. He didn't choose the Jews because they were his favorite. They weren't the biggest. They weren't the strongest. They weren't the most uh, moral people, virtuous people. He just chose to set his love upon them. And so rather, he says, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And that's an obvious nod to Cornelius. We're told in verse 2 that Cornelius feared God. We're told that he did what is right. He gave to the poor. He prayed to God continuously with all his household. And so by saying that people like Cornelius fear God that they're, that, and do what is right and are acceptable to God, it certainly doesn't mean that they earned salvation. It certainly doesn't mean that they don't need to be saved like everybody else. We'll learn in chapter 11, Peter said, no, I, I preached them a message that led to their salvation. It simply means that God accepted their prayers and their good works that that people like Cornelius had done. In Romans 2, Paul made pretty much the same point. But this means that Cornelius is exactly the type of person that would be receptive to the gospel, the message about Jesus, if he had a chance to hear it. And so beginning in verse 36, Peter preaches this gospel to Cornelius and to the others that were gathered. He tells them how Jesus went through all of Israel doing good and healing people in the power of the Spirit. And then Peter says, and they put him to death. And if you go back to Luke and notice who put him to death, well, Roman soldiers put him to death at the urging of the Jews. And so both the Gentiles and the Jews, people like Cornelius and people like Peter, were the ones that put him to death. 
But God raised him up on the third day and made him appear to the disciples. We pick it up in verse 42. And Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so Peter now understood that everyone included the Gentiles to whom he was speaking. Gentiles like pretty much all of us here in this room. That's good news, right? To everyone. And then what happens next mirrors exactly what happened to the original Jewish disciples of Jesus in Acts chapter 2. This is sometimes called the Gentile Pentecost. So verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, Peter wasn't driving the action, he was just talking. While he was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And so as he was telling this message, as they believed, God sent the Holy Spirit upon them. Verse 45 And the believers from among the circumcised, that is, the Jews, Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And so those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ should get this uh, just immediately uh, because we are even the Gentiles. We're about as far away from Jerusalem and the original followers of Jesus geographically and culturally as you can get. And he has poured out the Holy Spirit even on us. And so I would say to you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, I hope that you internalize what's being said here. Uh, You don't have a bunch of barriers that you need to, to smash through. You don't have a bunch of hurdles that you need to jump over to get to Christ. Jesus pours out his spirit on everyone who believes in him. Everyone. This is the good news of the gospel. Years ago when I was in my late 30s, uh, we had an across-the-street neighbor who was in his 80s. And Dr. T, uh, he taught in the zoology department at K-State before there was a biology department, I think. I mean, he was just so old school. But we became such such good friends. And uh, he hadn't gone, his father had had a falling out with their church when he was 12 years old. And so he... He hadn't gone to church in almost 70 years, and uh, he didn't have a faith of, in, of his own, but he was really interested in the Bible. As so we developed our friendship, uh, I would wander over on Saturday afternoons. I needed to practice my sermon. He needed to hear it, and so I would just tell him that what I was, what I was going to be talking about the next day, and he, he, was just, he was just fascinated by it all. He'd ask me all these pointed, unanswerable questions. You know, he'd have questions, comments, snide remarks. And, uh, but, but he was just fascinated by it. And as, as trust developed, he told me more and more of his story. And as I shared with him this, this news about Jesus, he deep down in his, his heart thought, 
he really didn't think that God wanted anything to do with him because he hadn't been to church in 70 years. What had he done for God? Why would God do that for him? And I really don't know where he ended up in his faith, but I do believe I was able to communicate to him that that is not the issue. Nobody can earn it. Nobody can deserve it. Forgiveness of sins is a free gift that God gives to anyone who believes. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, please know that that this is a free gift that God will give to you if you believe. He really does not show partiality. He pours out his spirit upon anyone who believes in Jesus. And this leads to the third point in the first half of Acts chapter 11, that therefore we must never stand in his way. If he's in hot pursuit of people that may be very different from us, if he really does pour out his, his spirit on anyone who believes there's no barriers, then we must never stand in God's way. And this chapter records how what happened when they heard back in Jerusalem. There were some Jew, uh, Jewish believers in Jerusalem who reacted when they heard what Peter had done in Caesarea, how he had uh, entered into the house and, and associated with Gentiles. They thought that was absolutely scandalous, so they criticized Peter, verse 3, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. They really thought that God still showed partiality, or that God did show partiality, that, that the Jews were his favorite, and that Gentiles were, they ate unclean food, therefore they were unclean, unacceptable to God. Peter explains this vision Three times he saw this, how the Spirit told him, go to Cornelius' house, preach them a message by which they would be saved. And then he just just recounts what happens. Verse 15, he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning, on the day of Pentecost. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then here's his logic. This is perfect. He said, if then God gave the same spirit to them that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in his way? How can I stand in the way of God? God's the one driving the action. God's the one who is doing this. The more I study Acts, the more I love Peter. At the first of chapter 10, he had this vision. He says, no, I will never do that. But you know what Peter did? He listened. He learned. He let God change his heart. And now he's in a place where he says, God, if this is what you're doing, the last thing I want to do is stand in your way. And guess how the church reacted? Verse 18 When they heard these things, they fell silent. It's pretty unusual when people who are very dogmatic, borderline judgmental, fall silent. But they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. God wanted the Gentiles to have this message that if you repent, You can experience eternal life. 
and who are we to stand in his way? You know, my heart is for this church. My heart is that we as individuals and we as a body, that we would have the same transformation in our hearts and minds that Peter had. Why? Because there are people all around us in our community, people that may be very different from us in, in many different ways, and God is at work in their lives. God is showing them this, this God-shaped vacuum that nothing else can fill. And the last thing I want is for us to be a church that stands in the way of what God wants to do. And it starts with our attitudes. It starts with the way we think about, the way we feel about people who might be very different from us. You know, there's a, a parable in, in Luke 18 that really uh, gets at the heart of, of what, what we're saying here today. In Luke 18, uh, Jesus told a parable, and it says he aimed it at people who viewed themselves as self-righteous. They viewed themselves as superior to other people, and they treated other people with contempt. Here's the parable. He said, a tax collector and a Pharisee went up to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee, he stood by himself, and this is his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like extortioners and adulterers and like that tax collector over there. And so he was just obsessed with differentiating himself from other people. He said, me, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of everything I earn. And so he, he, he viewed others with contempt. He viewed himself as righteous. The tax collector says he stood a long way off. You know what he did? It says he beat his chest, and he said, Lord, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It would never cross his mind to treat anybody else with contempt or to look down on anybody else as inferior. He knew that his only chance with God was mercy. And so that's the way he viewed himself. And Jesus said, that's the man that went down right with God. That's the type of man, if, if, and, and that's who we all are. If you know Jesus, that's you. The only reason you're, you're a child of God is because of mercy. And if we ever forget that, if we ever get to the place where we realize, no, actually, I'm, it's not mercy anymore, I've earned my keep, and we start looking down on others who haven't yet experienced God's mercy, we will stand in his way and we will miss what God wants to do in our community through us. May that never happen. May we be people who say, God, if you're doing this, I want in on it. I want to walk in humility. I want to look at people the way you do. I want you to use me to lead them to Christ. And so, God, we pray what David prayed. Search me, O God. Know my heart. God, we don't know our own hearts, but you do. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. In Jesus' name, amen.